you need decent quality water and we kind of ensure and try to get a product that's pretty clear but it's not a hundred percent clear it's not really a requirement when it comes to again that very top end that diamond collection then we take it into a, a whole new set of processing where we actually make it pretty much pure 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 h2o before we start the freezing process welcome to the diageo bar academy podcast bar chat this is your host tristan stevenson on today's episode i am speaking with gavin marks Gavin is the managing director of Eskimo Ice, who have been supplying frozen water to thousands of bars and retailers in the greater London area for over two decades. In fact, it's safe to say that if you're working in or drinking at a cocktail bar in the London area, you're probably encountering Eskimo Ice on a weekly basis. On the episode, we talk about how Eskimo was first established, how the business has changed, what kind of machines it takes to produce the massive amount of ice they are turning out every day. Then we move on to talk about speciality ice, such as those beautiful crystal clear blocks, uh, the spheres, diamonds, even like sculptured ice uh, that Eskimo produce for some of the best bars in London, in the world for that matter, as well as impregnated ice, ice that has color in it, uh, which it doesn't do too much of, actually, as you'll, as you'll learn, uh, and ice that has objects frozen into it, because I was very interested to find out how they can freeze stuff into ice that's crystal clear. Well, Gavin will explain it. Really hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, I am joined in the studio here with Gavin Marks from Eskimo Ice. Hi, Gavin. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Thanks ever so much for coming on. I think this is going to be a very cool episode god i can't believe i just put such a horrible pun in right at the start but um, i'm very much looking forward to talking to you about ice as is customary we're going to kick off with some quick fire questions so that we can break the ice if you excuse the pun <laughs> and i don't blame you for not excusing it because that was pretty horrible <laughs> what's your favorite bar a uh, rocker which is your favorite movie titanic or frozen gotta be titanic yeah big ice Best film or favourite film with a bar in it? Ooh. Um, Casablanca. Yeah, classic. Champagne or whiskey? Whiskey. Maverick or Iceman? Probably Maverick. And finally, holidays. Do you go hot or do you go cold? <sighs> I do a bit of both, actually, but I'm going to go hot. Nice. So perhaps it'd be good to get a bit of, a, a bit of your background um how you got into the ice trade and how eskimo ice was started so if you want to give us a bit of potted history of yourself yeah well very quickly i did start out in the bar trade myself um working back in some very cool little cocktail bars in the very early 80s i think um up in london's west end i got into that trade and ended up opening a couple of bars and that basically led me into an opportunity um, with, into a fam, family business, really, myself and my father. And um, we saw a little ice company up for sale. In fact, my father saw it up for sale, in truth. And uh, he, he'd known uh, that I used to buy ice all the time and thought it'd be a good thing to get into. So... We got into it. So what was it like back then running bars in the early 80s? Were more bars buying in ice then than they do now? Or did everyone have a commercial ice maker, but they were temperamental? Back in the early 80s, definitely. 
much less ice was being bought. It wasn't really that available. Um, so the guys that were supplying it were few and far between and sort of uh, the guy I used to buy it off um, was a very interesting character and he was he, 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 he was a jack of all trades. I mean, he was a, a milkman by day an Iceman by night and um, did various other things. I think he even sold kind of sold you a pair of shoes or a handbag if that's what you wanted. So um, he basically had obviously got the idea and got a few ice machines and was just filling up a few bags and driving them around London. And that's where the idea came from. So um, you bought an existing company and then how, how did the sort of growth go of that business? What, how did you see the trade change and demand change? Because Eskimo is a pretty big company now, as I understand it. Yeah, I mean, we started working really hard at it. And this, it, was, it, it was basically about being available to bars, nightclubs, um, you know, uh, caterers and whatever. And, and when, when they started realising there was somebody out there that's pretty reliable they could get their ice from, they started buying more and more and more of it. And um, at the same time, I think ice just became more and more, you know, a must-have um, I mean, I, I did grow up in an era where you could actually quite normally be served your gin and tonic with no ice, but I think we no longer live in that, in that place, do we? Thankfully, yeah. That, well, I mean, it does happen occasionally. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, it's not so great when it does. Um, even when you get, even with chilled mixers, uh, like, and mixed with gin, where the drink is probably not that different to the temperature of an ice gin and tonic, there is something weird when that clinking of the ice and the visual, um, you know, uh, kind of effect of ice in, in the glass as well is missing, you, you really feel like you're missing part of your serve, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's totally changed. I mean, we've, we've you know, it, it, it is actually virtually unheard of or unacceptable, in fact, to be served a drink without ice in it. It's really very interesting that, that that ice will just go into everything. So you have got that very top end uh, where people want really beautiful ice. But then you've got the guys who just, you know, they drink loads of Coca-Cola and they just need to shove loads of ice in there. Um, so it, it, it kind of goes right across the whole spectrum. So um, give us a sort of snapshot of what the business looks like now. I, I mean, how much of your trade is... Is for events because I'd imagine that's a pretty big one because obviously events teams don't tend to have their own ice makers. How much of it is bars? How much of it is um, you know cubed ice or crushed ice or premium quality ice? Because you make all sorts of different types now. I know that. So what, what, what's the breakdown roughly? And and, if, and I don't know if you can divulge it or not, but it'd be wonderful to get some understanding of like how much water you're getting through or how many tons of ice you're making. Well. We make a lot of tons, um, and, and the business has really developed. So where we used to be, sort of, you know, very much London's number one uh, ice supplier, by far, in a way. Um, and there were days that I can remember, crazy summer's days, where we, I think our record was about 850 deliveries in a day. So we're doing that with, you know, vans, being loaded up constantly all day long just running around to every possible event and the events go you know they, they really just did they could be the coffee shops they could be um you know wine tastings they could be offices 
and then of course there's all the, all the amazing parties that were going on, the restaurants, the nightclubs. As the business has developed, we, we've kind of got two kind of wings. The, the very big side of what we do is actually filling up the supermarket shelves these days. Um, and we supply, we supply into London, but we're not actually the guys who deliver it anymore. So we concentrate on making the ice now. Uh, so we make uh, around about, in packaged ice, about 250 tonnes a day. It's a lot of ice. It's, a, it's kind of, in, in, in bags, we're, we're making the equivalent of about 140,000 bags a day when we're running full, full peak. And those are going out and getting into people's glasses all over the country, I guess. And, and you asked about breakdown. Mostly that's uh, your, your average ice cubes. Um, that you, you've probably bought from time to time in a supermarket and stuff like that. That's the bigger part of it. We do fantastic uh, crushed ice, which is, you know, really sought after. And, of course, most of that will find its way into cocktails uh, across the country. We also now do a very large, what I would call like a Spanish-type ice cube, which are, you know, just jumbo-sized ice cubes, which people really like in gin and tonics or um, they, they will work well for people who just want uh, a slow melting ice cube and then at the very top of our kind of premium product we've got our ice club diamond collection and that's really where we're hand cutting crystal clear ice uh, into all sorts of shapes and they really are going into you know the very very top end drinks yeah, I think a lot of our listeners are going to be interested to hear about how you go about making that uh, really top-end stuff, the Ice Club stuff. The first bar I owned in London, was I opened it about 12 or 13 years ago. It was called Pearl on Blanford Street in, uh, in Marylebone. And we used to buy in big blocks uh -huh. of ice from you um, and on occasion cubes as, as well because um, our, our ice machine was, uh, wasn't up to the challenge. But when we built the bar we actually built an ice carving area into the back of the bar. We tiled it all out and sized it based on the big blocks that you, you were selling and then um, kind of learned somewhat ha haphazardly how to uh, carve it up and, and chip away at it to make balls and all that sort of stuff. And I don't, at the time, I don't think you were producing small, well, I say small, but large cubes that could go inside a glass. It was, it was these blocks or nothing. No, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, we we basically used to do the blocks in those days. We did uh, a few jobs where people wanted small pieces of ice, particularly for photo shoots and stuff like that. We tended to be doing it much more on a. We did that kind of thing more for marketing purposes. Um, I, I funny enough, I, I I once had. I'll tell you, funny, this is quite a funny story because we were doing a, there was a guy who or a girl actually and she was doing an event or she'd been asked to get some crystal clear ice with a logo on it for a big whiskey company they called me up and we were based in south london in in battersea and they said yeah okay my client wants like you know 100 ice cubes for his um his event I said, no, well, no problem, we can make that up for you. Um, and they said, yeah, and the event's in Cannes in the south of France. I said, well, hmm, 
don't know how that's going to get there. But they were so, so persuasive that I, I kind of said, okay, well, look, if you really, really need them, um, I'll take them myself. So I just chucked them in a suitcase and put a bit of dry ice in there, jumped on the plane. I uh, got, a, got a plane to Nice, hired a car, drove down to this, uh, the old port in Cannes. I had to deliver it to the back of this super yacht where they were kind of having their show. Um, so yeah, we've done, done a few odd deliveries. That was an interesting one. That's good customer service, that is. Um, I'm just wondering about, uh, did you declare the fact you were taking dry ice onto the aircraft? I'm just thinking <laughs> the, the sublimation of CO2 into the uh, cabin. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I, do you know what? I didn't, I didn't take it in the cabin. I, oh, I wrapped okay. it up in the suitcase and chucked it in the hold. And... Um, yeah, it didn't give me any grief or <laughs> anybody else any grief. I don't down nice. there. Um, people do take dry ice on aeroplanes. Um, they, 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 you do have to let them know, but you can mm. actually take, take it on there. We used to buy dry ice off you as well, I think, back in the day, because we were doing a lot of that kind of um, smoky stuff um, with, with cocktails as well and seem to remember getting deliveries of that from you too. So um, when you're making the smaller pieces, like the, the sort of diamond-shaped stuff, spheres, all that, you're manufacturing that from those bigger blocks. That's the starting point. We are. Yeah. We absolutely are. So everything is hand-cut from those. We bring those down, we clean them up, and we, 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 we just go to work on it and make whatever people kind of want, really. But mostly it's just crystal clear, you know, sharp-edged cubes and and rectangles and you know uh things like that that's that that's for the greater part and what sort of tools are you using to be able to be able to cut them down like that is it like lasers or saws or i'm sure it's not lasers but um that'd be funny we use saws yeah we just cut it you've experienced it yourself where you're using a probably a handsaw like a japanese handsaw mm. in in the bars that that kind of thing I know probably you were using chisels and stuff like that for making yes. diamonds and yeah. those sort of things. Yeah. We used to have picks, and then I actually went to Japan a few years ago and managed to pick up. I mean, I'm sure this stuff's available over here now, but it was really difficult to get hold of at the time. I got like a, a couple of knives that were particularly made for carving ice. Um, and, um, and then, like, as you say, we had ser big serrated saws as well. So we would get the block in and then we would manually saw down, like a loaf of bread, saw down sort of slices off this block. See, then you've got these kind of like squares and then you could cut them down further into individual spheres or you could, we, we, we used to sometimes shape them into diamonds um, by hand as well. Um, but it's, a, it's laborious when someone's waiting for a drink and you're carving this. I mean, some people are very, very quick at it, but um, I am not, especially now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's. I've, I've watched many of time you guys doing that stuff, and it's, you know, if you're in a a very nice bar and it's a bit quiet, it's a great thing. You know, if the guy, if, in other words, the bartender's got the time in his hands to do it for you, that's great, I guess. If you're that bartender and you've got like 20 people standing at the bar, it starts to get a little bit pressurised to, uh, to knock them out. And I guess that's where, you know, we've come in with the idea of making the product for people to use. Um, 
But on the other hand, what you were doing, you get all that theatre, and obviously it's really, yeah, it's really nice watching and seeing guys cut the ice as part of making up a great drink. Mm. Do you, have you ever done much with, um, like, impregnating the ice with objects or, um, you know, I mean, I've seen bits of barley set in ice and stuff like that. Oh, everything. Yeah, we've put everything in ice, everything you could possibly think of over the years. <laughs> um, most, uh, you know, some really crazy things, um, but not always, not always for drinking. You know, sometimes it's just for piece yeah. of art, art and stuff like that. I mean, we've had yeah. fish in ice. We've had kind of um, nuts and bolts and tools and computers and um, flowers, obviously. Um, all sorts, you know, just just incredible stuff. Um, but all, all, most of those have all mostly been part of ice displays. It, it, it's a very much a handmade piece of you you're asking for a kind of a piece of art to be made to put in a drink and it's not cheap to do that just because of the amount of time it takes but um but yeah it looks the part how do you do it because um I, I guess it's you're kind of well in this big machine that's forming these crystal clear blocks at some stage you're just kind of balancing items as it freezes up is that how it works yeah yeah so well give me a, a you know, if, if you if you let's say for example you wanted to put, I don't know, some slices of orange in, what you basically do is if you if you can picture how I described how how the ice grows from the bottom upwards, you might say, well, I I'm going to make these cubes of ice, and let's just say, if you don't mind me talking in inches, these cubes are going to be. Um, three inches square cubes yeah so you might go right i'm going to let this ice start growing from the bottom uh, when it gets to about one what i estimate to be about inch and a half thick i am going to add in my beautiful slices of orange and i might do a whole like loads of them like great big row of them your issue is that water's being swirled around and pumped around yeah so what's going to stop them flying all over the place? And what you have to do is you have to actually take a weight. So you put your, put your nice slice of orange down, take a weight. Let's just say, I don't know, something like a piece of metal. Sit it on top of that orange slice. So sit it on top of all those orange slices you put in there. And leave it there for maybe 20 minutes. And then what will happen in that 20 minutes is the ice that's growing up will grab the piece of orange. And then you can take out all your little weights. And then the ice will continue to grow and it will grow over the top of that orange. But it's such a bespoke thing. You know, you're never going to be seeing these sitting on the shelf somewhere in a shop. Um, what about the spheres? So you're using um, saws and, and knives and everything to carve the uh, diamonds and cubes and things. But spheres... They're pretty spherical, so what, what happens there? Yeah, so we've got an incredible kind of machine that has been developed, which is basically knives um, but, and blades, but it's, it, we, we've got it so that we can cut. It cuts from the top and the bottom of a slice okay. of ice. So we basically have to prepare the slices 
uh, the slices of this crystal clear ice, the right thickness, and then we put them and we've got a, a tool that will basically cut the bottom and the top at the same time and produce these lovely, really perfect crystal clear balls. That's cool. That sounds like a cool machine. What about as, as it, what about flavored ice? Have you ever sort of delved into that, putting putting flavorings in there, whether it's some sort of syrup or, or colorings, that sort of stuff too? I kind of have always stayed away from that. When you when you try and put color into the ice, what happens is that it, it tends to move around. So let's say you 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 pull, you know, you you wanted to make your your ice bright orange or something, or you know, it, it just it just doesn't work well. You, you, what you lose is that where you started with making this beautiful crystal clear thing, right? Suddenly it's gone misty a bit, and the colours a bit moving around, and you know it doesn't doesn't behave itself well. I, I've never been a a big fan of either colouring ice. Or, or or trying to flavour it. I've heard people talk about it and stuff like that, but yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Um... There's a there's a few bars that have sort of famously done it. One one bar that's quite famous for its ice program, or at least was. I don't know if they're still doing crazy stuff. Was the Aviary in Chicago, and um, they uh, there's a there's a YouTube video you can watch actually, um, which has had a lot of views, and it's a little short film about their ice program, and they they say that in the because they have a, a lot of the equipment. Well, not the big ice machines, but they have um, some of these machines that make large clear blocks that you're describing in, in-house. And um, in addition to that and the sort of carved ice they do, they make a lot of flavoured ice as well. And um, I think they had something like 43 different types of ice on their menu, if you count all the different shapes and colours and, and flavour and everything. But And it kind of became their thing. And um, I suspect it was influential, you know, probably filtered down to other bars and other bars started sort of messing about with flavoured ice cubes and things like that. But I am, um, I'm with you. Um, I I think that your your drink's only going to be balanced for a short period of time there, isn't it? Um, It's unlikely to start balanced. um, And if it does, then you've only got imbalance to look forward to. Um, And then after it's short period of balance it will then become imbalanced again and the aviary they they've come from a very much a culinary background because it's the the sort of bar part of a of a very famous michelin star restaurant there and i wonder if they're approaching it almost like a chef does a plate of food where it's like the ice is one component of the plate and then the drink is the other and you know as you're enjoying a nice plate of food you're not always experiencing the balance of you're experiencing imbalance one way than another, right? And that's kind of part of the joy of it. Um, but I wonder if it's probably not thought through in the sense that the balance is only going one way with melting ice, right? It's never going to kind of return to its original state. Yeah, I, it's you know I I could totally well, I could totally see how a bar could really really specialise in stuff like that, and they would find ways to work it um but i prefer the ice to be just looking really good and also you know i think the other thing that we probably haven't touched upon is that when you do use that hand cut crystal clear ice you really do not have any you know there is no flavors in there at all in terms of you know the possibility of a little bit of i don't know whatever it might be, a bit of chlorine that's in the water or, or, or something like that. You know, 
Um, I know ev everybody tries not to have that stuff in their ice, but that crystal clear stuff really is 100% pure. So it, you, you definitely, if you are pouring, you know, a beautiful scotch all over it or, or whatever it is that you're making up, it's not going to be tainted by the ice. The other beauty of that stuff is it's, it's incredibly um, slow melting, isn't it? Yes, yes, which is, is the point I was going to come on to next, actually. You see these crystal clear ice balls, blocks, diamonds and everything being used in service, in the serve, and I think they look amazing, like for an old-fashioned or an agroni or some other drink that has been chilled down uh, and then poured over this, this uh, diamond of ice in the rocks glass. Um, and um, I think that's the perfect use case for it. One, one pet peeve of mine, and it touches on the point you just made, is when these blocks are used to chill drinks from scratch. Because, as you mentioned, they've got a lower surface area than if you're using cubes, so they melt more slowly. And the problem here is, I mean, that sounds like a good thing, right? But, the, but here's the problem. You, you can't, you're not chilling the drink unless the ice is melting because the vast majority of the chilling power of the ice is not because it's cold, it's because it's melting. Like to change phase from solid to liquid requires huge amounts of energy and that energy comes from your spirits and all that. And so when you're melting your ice more slowly, it means you're also chilling more slowly. And what a lot of bartenders fail to recognize is that that means they need to stir their drink for a lot longer when they're using big chunks of ice. Um, so in my mind, it's just a bit wasteful. Like you put, leave that ice for the glass and when you're mixing or shaking or stirring, then use cubes because that's going to chill it quicker and that's really what you want. A good, a good old gin and tonic would not, not be that great with just a, you know, poured over a very large cube of ice because it, it you know, it would, take, it would take a good while before it got as cold as you might like. I know a lot of people don't like pouring a, a good whiskey over ice but I actually do quite like it particularly over that kind of ice because what actually happens is it doesn't get that cold um, it, it gets cool um, but it doesn't it doesn't get freezing cold like it does if you're chucking in a load of you know small cubes so it actually has quite a nice effect in that sense um, another thing that's quite nice I think with uh, you know, with these great big cubes of ice is, is you, you, you can actually refill. So if you have your classic, you know, guy at the bar drinking a nice scotch from the top shelf, to, so to speak, you know, you can actually top him up. You don't need to, if, if he was agreeable to that, where he's got this beautiful piece of ice, it's actually getting more and more beautiful as it melts a little bit. No, it's true. It's, uh, they, I, I've definitely served uh, multiple whiskies over the same cube of ice. And I mean, you can, if you're using them to stir down drinks, if, it's, if you're making the same drink, I mean, I guess you could wash it and reuse it because it would be so wasteful to stick two of these beautiful lumps of ice in a mixing glass, mix a martini and then chuck it all down the drain. Um, not the martini, but the, the ice. Um, it'd, be, it'd be even more wasteful to chuck the martini away. That really would be uh, absurd. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's, I, I mean, I do enjoy seeing them, especially these ones, like you say, that have been 
stamped or have something inside them or customized for the venue in some way i think it is a really nice touch i mean have you do, do you get out much to cocktail bars these days are there any particular places you've been or all that you supply to that you recognize have got a really good ice program and doing things right i don't i don't go so much out in london anymore I, i've moved away from there i used to go i mean there were some classics that i used to go to that were very good with the ice which were uh places like rocker I'll be honest with you, they started it for us. You know, we used to do quite a lot of ice sculptures in those days, so we, ha- we manufactured the blocks. And then the guy who was looking after our rocker, the rocker account who worked with us, a guy called Jose, famous ice man in London, he came back and said, listen, these guys, they want, they want a, a block of ice this big, uh, and they want one every day. And I, I remember thinking, really? Yeah. What are they going to do with that? You know? And then when he went in there, yeah, yeah. thought, wow, this is so cool. Um, and this is probably back in, I would say this was around about, about 20 years ago now, maybe 18 years ago. Um, so they, they, they really kicked it off. I remember they um, they made the newspapers with that. They, I remember it was in the news that this bar had this block of ice that was sort of replenished every single day. Um, and, you know, it, it was one of the first things I'd read in the in the sort of general media about any kind of attention to detail in ice in, in bars ever. Mm. They absolutely set, you know, they kicked it off. The, um, I'd say that the Japanese influence over bar culture in this country has had a big effect on like attention to detail of ice. Um, do you, have, you, have, you, have you ever been out there and seen the guys sort of do, working with ice in Japan? You know what, I haven't. I sound really, um, I spent way too much time in an ice factory and not enough time visiting these cool places. <laughs> it's cool. They, they really know what they're doing with the ice. Sorry, but yeah, I, I need to do it. Yeah. I need to do it. Yeah, 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 definitely. It must be what with the sort of cost of fuel and things like that at the moment and energy, and that must be one of your big overheads when you're producing ice and freezing stuff. How is the industry at the moment, and what effect is it having on the sort of price of ice? There's a lot of energy. You know, it's one of those things, there's no hiding from it. To make things cold uses a lot of energy. Um, In a way, just as to make things hot. So, you know, we're, we're in that kind of industry where... For us to make make you these big big bags of ice or big blocks of ice, it, it's it's costing a lot of a, a lot of energy. I mean, we, we look for every possible way to make it more and more efficient. Uh, we do our best to that. So and we and and that that will have to carry on infinitum. It's it's um, yeah, it has affected the price, but it's not it's not affected it crucially. Um, Interestingly, though, because I know, you know, sustainability is uh, is obviously a big a big subject in the world we live in today, and um, in a funny sort of way, with ice, I was thinking about it and thinking, well, the most sustainable ice was the way that the industry actually started. And the industry, I don't know if you know, how the industry started was in the mid, in the depths of midwinter. People would cut the ice out of lakes, you know, a natural phenomenon. And then they would like drag it off somewhere, and they would wrap it up and keep keep make it make it lost. 
Um, and there was I read I read an old book about the industry, and there were I I was it was unbelievable to find out that there were some American guys. Oof, I think in the 1800s, who were cutting ice out of lakes in sort of the northern states of America, and they were exporting it all over the world. Um, they'd actually fill up. They'd fill up ships with ice and then maybe sail for six months to, like, India and sell it there. You know, you can think, well, what did they have by the time they got there? Apparently, they had about half of it was still left. Um, yeah, I've read a book. Uh, I think it's called The Frozen Water Trade. It might be the same book. And um, it's quite interesting because it does tell the story of that period, late 19th century, I think it was, um, where they there was there was a there were there were traders on the american side of it and then there was a guy who started a company that i believe brought ice from norway down to sort of the middle of europe including britain and france and everything and they they would oftentimes well especially in the american trade they drag chunks of like iceberg basically um but they were so big that um, they would melt relatively slowly because you, you've got this just this enormous thing. Of course, you'd lose some, but not enough to make it an un, um, sort of financially worthwhile endeavour. Um, it is amazing. And then, of course, you know, the the ice machine came along and kind of changed all of that. Refrigeration was invented, and um, thus the industry moved on. Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, nice to talk to you, Tristan. If you haven't already, make sure you become a Diageo Bar Academy member. It's free. Head over to diageobaracademy.com for the latest industry news, events and inspiration. And subscribe to get it emailed to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bar Chat. Hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next time.